This is Defender Radio. Defender Radio is brought to you by the Association for the Protection of Fur-Bearing Animals. It's the week of April 25th, 2016, and this is Michael Howie welcoming you to episode 318 of Defender Radio. In February, a private member's bill was introduced to the House of Commons by a rookie Liberal MP. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, member for Beaches East York, stood up and read, for the record, the title of his first bill, C-246. That bill passed first reading without much fanfare, but now the Modernizing Animal Protections Act is being hotly debated across the country. From hard-right conservatives who are looking for a fight to farmers with legitimate concerns, a range of criticisms has arisen about C-246. How its language on closing criminal code loopholes could impact legitimate and legal animal use, and whether or not there is even a need for such legislation. The fur bears are proud to have consulted on the fur-related portions of the bill, and were joined on Defender Radio by its author, Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, to discuss the three main components of the legislation, the far-fetched criticisms created by some conservative members, and how supporters can help protect animals by making C-246 law. I thought a good place to start would be to learn a little bit about you before we start talking about legislation um, and reviewing some of the, uh, the the comments coming up. So h- how did you end up uh, uh, where you are today as a uh, you know a well-regarded member of parliament for uh, a region <laughs> in Toronto? Well, I don't know. Well-regarded, it may be overstating it. It depends I'm, on uh, who you ask, which side <laughs> of the house. I um, So I'm 31 years old. I uh, I think I'm, I'm told I'm the youngest uh, member in the GTA, but I uh, studied politics and law for eight years, seven years at Queen's, one at Oxford. I got back from the UK in uh, 2012, did a little bit of volunteer work for the Civil Liberties Association, got back to practicing law, practiced commercial litigation for a few years, and Always had an interest in politics, having uh, you know studied politics and constitutional law throughout my studies, and uh, decided the best way for me to contribute overall was rather than being an advocate an advocate for my clients to be an advocate for my neighbors and constituents. So I uh, had a sort of an arduous 13 uh, month uh, nomination process, and uh, all's well that ends well, and. Uh, and took that success through the through the election as well. And I I grew up, I should say so I'm representing Beaches East York, and I uh, grew up here. So I went to school when I was a kid here. I played baseball growing up here. My parents are teachers here, and I now live here with my wife. So it was a fortuitous sort of opportunity where Justin Trudeau came along and called for open nominations, and there so happened to be an opportunity in my home riding. And has that really sunk in yet? I mean, you're, you're sitting in the legislature in Ottawa, uh, debating things and creating laws. And, and just a few years ago, you were still just volunteering uh, and sort of figuring out where you wanted to be. Has that really settled into your mind yet that you are now a representative of our federal government? Yeah, well, I think it took, uh, you know, it took a lot of work to get here. So in a way, yes. Uh, on the other hand, you know, I was lucky to have the opportunity previously arguing over fraud matters and uh, over breaches of contract and all, you know, important to the parties involved, but only important to the parties involved, whereas it is, um, 
it's sometimes you know it's easy to forget that one's lucky to have the opportunity to now debate issues that affect the whole country and in some cases beyond the borders of our country. It, it certainly is a, a slight change in pace, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> and let's let's sort of get into C two four six, and that's what we're going to be talking about mostly today. Um, well. I got to sort of start at why did you decide um, relatively early in your political career to take what is a very large swing at animal rights or animal welfare policy at the federal level? So first, I was just lucky to win the lottery. So the private member's bill process is in fact a lottery. Everyone can introduce a private member's bill at any time. But in order for that bill to be debated and voted upon, we have what's called uh, the order of precedence, and to get on that order, which is the top 30 uh, names, it, it's by lottery. So I actually came 16th out of 270 private members in the lottery. So I actually had a timeline to work under that if I wanted to introduce a bill that would get debated and voted on, I had to introduce it um, by February 26th. And so I was put in a position where I had to pick a topic fairly quickly, given, you know, when you think of it, we had the election in October, but we didn't have our first sitting until December. And Realistically, government really didn't get going until uh, late January on a full-time basis in terms of sitting in the House. And so I really had a month or so to, from, from that start date to put a bill together. And I, you know, animal welfare is an issue that's always been important to me personally. It's also an issue of great importance to constituents in my riding. And I like the idea of speaking to issues that cross partisan lines. So I think whether one's conservative, NDP, liberal, uh, Canadians across the country care about animal welfare. And so I can't tax, I can't spend money in the course of a prime members bill. And animal welfare was a good opportunity to, uh, to have a great effect without doing those two things. Well, and then I, I, um, I have to ask these three items particularly, um, so we can go through each one. Uh, sure. The first two, I think, are relatively simple ones, and that is the shark fins, and then the fur issue, which is uh, the one you and I spoke about yeah. in, uh, I guess it was January, February. Um, yeah. And it was, uh, uh, in that particular, it is the requirement to label all fur products, as well as banning the import and sale of dog and cat fur. So why let's let's before we get into the criminal code amendments, what what was it about those two issues that really sort of drew you in or you saw uh, as things that Canadians support? Well, I was looking to have the greatest impact, um, but also to garner as much support as I could among my own caucus and among the opposition benches. And so I thought, you know, private members bills oftentimes are relatively simple affairs of recognizing a day. And I wanted to have a greater impact than that. And so I took, uh, now I was short, short timing, realistically, as I mentioned. So I picked three things that had already been introduced in the House where there was existing legislation that I could cobble together. Uh, but I thought, what can I do to have the broadest impact possible, but also to make sure that I had a piece of legislation that could get passed? And so I picked three issues that I think would obtain broad support that I think uh, Canadians, that when you walk them through the three pieces, uh, that there is support for them. And in fact, most people say, well, we don't do that already. That's it's shocking. So really, you know, as my first legislative attempt, I wanted it to be as broad as possible, which is why I included three things. But I also wanted it to be as realistic as possible in terms of having a 
practical chance of, of, of getting it passed, which is why I picked three things that I, I thought most Canadians could get on board with. Well, and I, I certainly understand there's been very little direct opposition to the shark fin and the dog cat fur slash uh, uh, labeling topics. Um, I have uh, obviously been following a lot of the media coverage and I've been sure. uh, getting updates from your office and other organizations and uh, nonprofits who were supporting this legislation. Um, and what I think we kind of need to talk first about the criminal code because this is the big part that a lot of people are getting confused about, I would say. And some of it I think is intentionally misleading. Um, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, uh, we'll, we'll get into that as well. But um, and some of it is, I think, genuine. It's if you're not familiar with how the criminal code works, how it's written, how policy works, um, then it's it at the very least is an intimidating process because there's a lot of language that's very unusual uh, and, and frankly uncomfortable uh, outside of legal circles. Um, so I think we'll, we'll say maybe the, the fishermen, this is the one I've heard a lot about. (laughs) Sure. Uh, Yeah. I've heard probably more than you have. Yeah, I'm willing to bet that's true. (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you that you've heard it uh, more than I. And the, the obvious one is, uh, the keep Canada fishing website that came out of nowhere. I think almost entirely just to take on this issue. Um, that's right. And, it says that provisions in Bill C-246 clearly make it possible for someone who catches a fish to face criminal prosecution for cruelty to animals. Even the act of baiting a hook with a worm would be considered an act of cruelty according to the bill. Um, now, I don't recall seeing anything about fish or worms in the bill, um, but how, how do you respond to that? And I think uh, keeping in mind a big part of this is how we as supporters of C246 can respond to this as well. Sure. So first and foremost, that information is incorrect. The bill, A, it's important to keep in mind that this bill is in no way intended to affect those practices. So this bill was originally drafted by the Justice Department in 1999. Uh, this is why I selected this as the third topic. It had a long history. It's passed the House of Commons at third reading three times. It actually passed the Senate at third reading once, and the only reason it didn't become law was because the Senate said there are four amendments that we propose, and before getting those amendments through, there was an election and a bill died on the order paper. Uh, when it was re-proposed by Justice Minister Erwin Kotler in 2005, uh, and taking into account the Senate's changes for the most part, didn't have enough of an opportunity to, to pass because, again, we had the election in, in 2006. So, First and foremost, there's no intention there. The previous justice minister has stated categorically it does not affect these activities. Now, some people have said, well, there are concerns with unintended consequences. Um, I would say at law, there's no concern there. Uh, criminal lawyers that have, that have looked at this have said there's, there's not, there aren't real concerns. But if there are concerns, I, I've put it out to my colleagues. I've put it out to folks that I speak to that are concerned about its potential unintended effect. Give me language that would fix this in your view. I'm open to the discussion and I'm open to making changes to make sure that people are comforted it, it doesn't affect this because the fact of the matter is there are all sorts of accepted animal use practices in Canada and in the world as it is. And the criminal code is not the way to regulate those activities. The criminal code is to punish individuals for egregious conduct and moral conduct in our society. Animal cruelty, I think we can all agree, 
you know, I speak to fishermen, they say, absolutely, we're against animal cruelty. And the criminal code is not the place to regulate accepted activities. So take farming as the example. We have acts, the Meat Inspection Act, the Health of Animals Act to regulate transport of animals. And if we wanted to regulate and change the regulations surrounding farming, we would change those acts. The criminal code is absolutely not the place to do it. So it's... there are, and I guess this is what I've tried to explain to some people, and I've I've met resistance, but the things that are in place legally that would create exemptions remain in place. Yeah. So the best, so the funniest part of the Keep Canada Fishing website is that it points to a provision in the Act, uh, in my bill, and it says this is going to stop fishing, and specifically it points to the part of the the Act that says where one willfully or recklessly causes unnecessary pain or suffering to animals, that is a crime. The thing is, that's already a crime. That in the criminal code, section 445.1, that's already a crime. So if my bill makes that a crime, it's always been a crime. And obviously fishing has not always been a crime, so my bill is not making fishing a crime. Um, What my bill does instead is is it, and this is I think the complicated part for people who are, are not lawyers, is that my bill moves the existing animal cruelty provisions out of the property section and moves them into a new section called Offenses Against Animals. Now, the misleading information that you'll hear from some of my conservative colleagues is that moving out of the property section changes everything. It doesn't. All existing defenses continue to apply. And they say that uh, moving uh, it out of the property section will give animals human rights doesn't does no such thing in fact um and they've they've also said you know i'm adding provisions of 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 recklessness not the case if you recklessly cause unnecessary pain or suffering to an animal that's already a crime under the existing code provisions uh they'll tell you that if you're clumsy or incompetent that and you hurt an animal that no that's not the case what my bill does is is it closes loopholes related to animal fighting specifically so Previously, it was a crime, and the current criminal code, it is a crime, I should say, to fight animals. It's not a crime to profit off of animals or ancillary conduct related to fighting. So my bill criminalizes profiting off of animal fighting. It also criminalizes training animals for the purposes of fighting, breeding animals for the purposes of fighting, and transporting animals to a fight for the purposes of fighting. And it also creates a gross negligence standard. So there are cases, take the deplorable puppy mill conditions as the classic example, where Obviously, animal cruelty is occurring, but it's not not always clear, I should say. In some cases it is, but it's not always clear uh, that someone intended to cause that uh, suffering. And so there's not necessarily that willful or reckless component, and this would create a gross negligence standard, which I say to everyone when I discuss this, across the criminal code, every single negligence uh, or criminal negligence um, offense is a marked departure from the norm. That's the basic criminal uh, negligence standard. And this would modernize the code by taking that willful neglect under the current code, willful or reckless neglect, and making it just like every other criminal negligence offense, which is a marked departure from the norm. Again, this would not affect accepted animal use practices. Um, We're not, you know, those have not never been deemed under the current criminal code to cause unnecessary pain or suffering, and nor would they be deemed to cause unnecessary pain and suffering in the future on, under the new provisions. Well, and I guess the, the part about moving the legislation, that is, it's a very easy argument to make for the opponents to this legislation. But the, the, the fact of the matter is you're pretty much moving potato skins from appetizers and putting it under entrees. <laughs> like there's still That's potato right. skins at the end of the day, right? That's right. So uh, the provinces 
have jurisdiction over property simply because we're moving animal cruelty out of the property section in no way changes the fact that they remain property. They're still, you know, you still own your pets, you still own your, your farm animals, etc. cetera. Uh, the fact of the matter is this is a symbolic recognition of the fact that animals are really quasi property in our society. Uh, they are not like tables and chairs. You can't do with them how, whatever you like. Um, but, uh, but I actually just, uh, you know, this, uh, in 2003, because again, this is not new legislation. This was debated. This, this went to committee and there were, there was full hearings where the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters hired legal counsel that gave submissions at committee. The Poultry Welfare Association hired counsel that gave submissions at committee. And both of them testified to say, by moving it out of the property session, you're eliminating the defense of color of right. A very archaic defense that is never really applied in every case, but fine, you're, you are losing that defense. And so we propose putting that back in explicitly. And I actually, when I drafted the legislation, I took the existing code amendments proposed by the Justice Department as my starting point, And I actually took that proposal from OFA and from the Poultry Welfare Association, and I included it in my bill because I wanted to make sure I was addressing the previous concerns of these organizations, which made it all the more frustrating when I introduced my bill to have these groups come out against my bill. And interestingly, in the case of OFA, I mean, I've reached out to them, I've reached out to other organizations, and I've said, tell me specifically what what is of concern to you, what is the language of concern, I'll, I will work with you to put together amendments that we're both happy with, that will address your concerns, because my bill is not aimed at fishing, is not aimed at hunting, is not aimed at farming, and if you tell me specifically what your concerns are, I will address them. And to date, they have not come to me with their specific concerns. Well, and as we know, you are a radical animal rights extremist, (laughs) um, bent on destroying the Canadian economy and way of life. Uh, But on the flip side of that coin, how much of this opposition is um, opposition for the sake of opposition, do you think? I think in the case of my conservative colleagues in the House, almost all of it. In the case of the folks who are messaging me on Facebook and by email, who are farmers and, and hunters and fishermen, they are saying we're, we have these concerns, and in part they have the concerns because they've been, these concerns have been whipped up by my conservative colleagues. But, but legitimately, they don't want to necessarily kill. They say the, the objects of your bill are, are important. We agree. We've got to stop shark finning. We've got to stop. Uh, cat and dog for, and we, and we've got to stop animal cruelty. We agree with these three objects, but please don't stop fishing. To which I say to them, I'm not going to. And I think getting that message out to say this is not the intention. If there's any language that lawyers will point to and say this is of real concern, let's change that language. Because again, the criminal code is not the place to have this conversation. If we wanted to have a conversation about changing animal use practices, it would be by way of education and it would be by way of regulation. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I was sitting around the table uh, at a family event not too long ago and uh, uh, through a complex relationship, I was sitting next to the farmer and fisherman. Um, and I'm just saying complex because it's like eight people removed. But anyway, sure. we're sitting next to each other and he knows, uh, you know, he knows I'm vegan. He knows what I do for a living and he likes to poke at me uh, and said, um, you know, well, I hear it's going to be illegal to fish soon. 
And I said, well, you know, and, and he was genuine about this because that's what he's been told by everyone around yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, and I said, no, you know, it's not going to affect fishing at all unless you, you know, pick up a fish by its tail, smash it on the head, put it back in, pick it up again, uh, you know, ask it where Al-Qaeda is, put it in again and make it watch, you know, reruns of uh, the Flintstones over and over. Like it, it it's not going to impact your day to day life. And he just said, oh, that makes sense. And that was the end of the conversation. Oh, that's, so, that's the identical conversation I've had with every uh, angler I've spoken to. They all say, uh, are, you, are you actually doing this? And I say, no, I'm not. Here's the kit I've prepared. Here's exactly what's in the bill, what it does, what it doesn't do. And if you have specific concerns, here's even a proposed amendment that could have possibly addressed your concerns. Let's have a conversation about that. And, and without fail... Uh, folks are reasonable and they say, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, I didn't think you were you were out to do it. I was a little bit worried, but what you said makes sense. And, and thanks for getting back to me. And um, it's unfortunate that, you know, welcome to politics. It's unfortunate that my colleagues don't see this as let's work together to address concerns in a reasonable, constructive way. That I had actually sat down with the one opponent, uh, Bob Sopic, before I even introduced the bill, knowing that he would be uh, likely opposed to it to say, can we work out where you might be disagreeing with this. And instead he just came out guns blazing. And it's unfortunate because what may happen is we may lose a, a good bill. We may, I mean, we may in fact lose out on a number of changes that every Canadian thinks we ought to have. I mean, 81% of Canadians polled in 2013 thought we should no longer be complicit in the practice of shark finning. In 2015, 92% of Canadians thought we should strengthen the criminal code against animal cruelty. Um, these are not changes that are going to alter our way of life, and they're changes that most Canadians can get on board with. And we shouldn't lose that just because of a political fight that, that isn't really getting at the substance of the matter. Well, and speaking of reasonable people, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Robert Sopak. Um as uh, uh, those listeners are familiar, likely, uh, Mr. Robert Sopak is a very conservative member of parliament from Manitoba who supports fishing and trapping and hunting and all manner of other things that I dare not speak. Um, and he uh, he is a, a vault. He, he talks frequently about his background in biology, uh, which I always find fascinating, uh, as well as his secretive legal team um, that no one has ever seen. Yeah. Um, and I, I, before we talk much about what he's actually said, I, my little anecdote about him is I was asked to speak at a legislative committee. Um, I guess it was about a year and a half, you know, it was around a year ago, two years ago. Um, and it was regarding the fur industry in Canada. And I was the only person there. So it was the Fur Institute of Canada, the Fur Council of Canada, the Sealers Association, uh, and a couple of auction houses and me. Um, so I fit in. And <laughs> how'd that go? They, um, <laughs> Um, I, I, uh, I drank a lot that <laughs> night, but anyway, um, so I, I went and I made my presentation and my background is journalism. I hold very true to that integrity and those ethics that I was taught. So I speak about facts. I speak about the realities. Um, and Mr. Sopuck responded to a lot of what I said, and I will never in my life forget him saying with his, and you know, the exact expression that he makes you know, sort of face down, facing up with his arm coming out from behind, red in the face, saying, I'm always up for a debate, and then refused to let me speak for the rest of the meeting. 
Um, <laughs> and, and that is the memory of him that carries with me everywhere I go. And I see it on his social media. I see it in the media. He says, I'll, you know, I'll stand toe to toe with anyone and debate this stuff. But he refuses to debate. He just continues to blabber on and on and on about the same nonsensical things. Um, and uh, we'll go through his website has a lovely open letter to social media commenters, um, which I, I, I just it makes me tingle all over. Um, and he he has stated that um, domestic dog and cat fur is already banned and eliminating any vestiges of the trade of these in the fur of these species should be quite easy. Now, it's not banned. It's not banned uh, at all. It's huh? perfectly, no, it's perfectly legal. Uh, to import, use, and sell dog and cat fur, domestic, wild, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, I mean, he starts out with a lie, flat out. Um, he may be thinking he, we're in a different jurisdiction because a number of jurisdictions, of course, have banned it. Oh, yeah. Well, most jurisdictions have banned it <laughs> in the Western world, except for us. And in the past, when the Fur Bears Association has requested information on this, we have been directed to the Fur Council of Canada by our federal leaders. Interesting. Uh, which is dis it's disturbing, in my opinion. But um, anyway, so he, he also says that, uh, and this is where his biology background comes into play. He says, domestic dogs have been known to cross with wolves and coyotes and reverted to the wild. Uh, I don't know what any of those words meant. I think he's saying that the concern would be that domestic dogs who may have crossed with uh, wolves or coyotes, other canids, and are now living in the wild, because that's obviously what's happening, um, like werewolves, are capable of showing up on DNA tests in this way. Um, and he says it should not be difficult, but he does not propose anything. He, there's no counterpoints to this. So he says, I support this. But I'm not going to support this. And the same is true of the shark finning issue. Uh, he says, yeah, we all think this is horrible. But let me tell you why it's not as horrible as you might think. Um, and it comes across very much as politicking to me and nothing else. Um, is that something that you think the public can see? Or does his tactic of bullying through the media really result in success for him? As we said, you know, his very first sentence regarding one of these pieces of legislation is just flatly untrue. No, there's no way around that. Well, keep in mind, he's also circulated a legal analysis of my legislation that is anonymous, number one, which I, I can't remember uh, a good lawyer in my life that would be willing to, to have a legal opinion in their name that it then becomes anonymous, so already questionable. Uh, two, it suggests that I'm adding recklessness to the code when I'm not. Any criminal lawyer would be able to tell you that. In fact, when the Library of Parliament did an analysis of the previous legislation, identical code amendments, they said that no, recklessness is not getting added. So it would have been nice for that anonymous lawyer to have done their history. Uh, and three, um, well, I mean, he obviously goes to the media and says I'm adding human, giving animals human rights, which is, which is incorrect. But in the legal analysis, it, uh, it also takes issue with the definition of animal. Funnily, I had met with Mr. Sopic, as I mentioned, and he had raised the issue of the definition of animal at the time. I actually took it out when I introduced my legislation. So I actually, because he had raised the concern and others had raised the concern, I took it out of the legislation because I didn't want to have a war over a, a definition when ultimately we don't have a definition under the current code. Judges operate just fine without it. 
And so I took it out. So it was interesting to see in the legal analysis that he was circulating, him taking issue with a definition that was in the secret draft of the bill that I had given to him before I even introduced it in the House. And there it was in black and white being taken issue with when it's not in the final copy of the bill. So I would suggest to anyone to take his concerns with a heavy grain of salt. Uh, yeah, I, I just, I, I, like I said, I kind of get tingly all over when I see something he's written. Um, you know, the journalist in me, the, the, the political nerd in me just gets excited by his ideas. Uh, it's, it, it must be what like Fox news or no, more, more particularly John Stewart thought of Donald Trump running. I mean, that's, that's the, that's sure. the comparison to me is just so. Yeah, sure. Well, he, uh, I, I don't think it's, I mean, to answer your, I don't think it's effective. I mean, it, it's, uh, how to put it. He's aiming to whip up a base. And I think ultimately reason does prevail in, in, in many cases, especially when, as I've spoken to my colleagues, I think people are uh, generally accepting of this idea, where even in Bob Sopic's world, he's saying, you know, Nate's intentions may be sound, but he, he's drafted this all wrong. Well, okay, the Justice Department drafted it originally and has stated that it does this and doesn't do what Sopic says it does, but fine. If you are concerned about drafting issues and not concerned with the objects of the bill, well, the point of second reading, and this just goes to a process issue and, and Canadians understanding the process issue, is if this passes second reading, it goes to committee. Committee is exactly where drafting errors get fixed and unintended consequences get fixed. And then it still comes back for third reading and another vote. And so if the concerns, I've said this to all of the associations that have you know, raised concerns, said we've got a couple messages from members, what do you say about this? I say, if you're worried about unintended consequences, let's try and work out the language at committee. And if we don't get it solved, then vote it down at third reading. Pressure MPs to vote it down. But in this case, where you're agreeing, we all agree on the objects of the bill, let's get this to committee and try and work out our differences in a reasonable way where, where organizations hire counsel that make proper submissions and everything is well thought out and reasonable. It happened previously, and, and I am hopeful that we can do it again. Um, and that sort of sounds like democracy, but I'm not sure I believe you yet. Um, <laughs> now, one of the things we do have a lot of folks doing right now is going out to meet their 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 own MPs. They're talking with uh, you know the representatives and saying, "I want to talk to you about Absolutely. this legislation." Um, how do you think people should be approaching that? I mean, you know, the obvious thing is to walk in with your your fists up and say, I want C246, and if you don't do it, I'm going to sit here and make faces at you. But what is the most productive way, whether this, whether you're talking to, you know, uh, uh, majority liberal, whether you're talking to the opposition conservative or the NDP uh, or Elizabeth May, um, what is the best way to really sort of show your support and and indicate to members of parliament that this is not just sort of a side issue for a lot of us, but it's, you know, this is what this entire session of parliament could be about in the history books. So it all depends upon how much time you are willing to commit to this, because at the very least, send a letter, a handwritten letter, or send an email, if not a handwritten letter, to your member of parliament and let them know that you support the legislation. More than that, though, set up a meeting with your, with your MP, whether by phone or in person, in person is even better. And if possible, put a group together of constituents in the riding who all feel the same way, who are all supportive, and let the MP know that there's a group of five, a group of six, a group of two or three, however many, 
uh, ideally even more, that, that want to meet with EMP to discuss this issue. And in the same way that we, you know, I should say I suppose react when uh, Sopa comes with his attack and I say, look, if, I don't believe these concerns are real, but if, the, if, you know, I do want to address them in a reasonable way, so let's get this bill to committee and let's make sure that they get addressed in a reasonable way. I don't want to dismiss them entirely out of hand. I'm willing to listen and I'm willing to work on amendments. I think the same approach meeting with MPs, if the MP is supportive, excellent. If the MP has got questions and is worried about the language, make that same pitch to say, well, do you agree with the three objects of the bill? Yes? Okay, great. Well, then let's get this thing to committee and let's get it studied. And you mentioned, you know, that's how democracy is supposed to work. Well, let's make sure it works that way. Perfect. Um, and if you had a message for the Mr. Sopucks of the world, um, I know, and keeping in mind, we are kind of a family program. Um, what would you say to him, to those people who are standing in defiant opposition of what most Canadians clearly think is progressive uh, and reasonable legislation for political reasons, as opposed to, and as you said, if this was truly about the actual legislation, there is a process through which these things can be addressed. So what do you offer to those who, whether they're the politicians, whether they're the associations, or just the individuals who are standing with their chins up saying, I don't care, this won't pass? What do you say to them? I would say that politics is built on reasonable disagreement, but let's make sure that that disagreement remains reasonable at all times. And let's not engage in personal attacks as, as, uh, as, you know, as much as we reasonably can. Let's focus on the issues. And when it comes to those issues, let's make sure that we're backing up our claims with evidence and uh, with facts. And let's make sure that if, if there are concerns with this bill, that we work across the aisle as much as possible. I mean, I've reached out across the aisle, and I would encourage, whether it's Mr. Sopic, whether it's the Ontario Federation of Anglers and Hunters, or whether it's any other organization, work with me. I'm, I'm, my intention is not to stop fishing, farming, and hunting for the criminal code. Full stop. I mean, some people may want to see that happen. That's not my intention, and that's not going to happen through these criminal code amendments. So work with me to uh, whether it's a, a real policy concern or whether it's just a political concern. Work with me so that we make sure the three objects of the bill that we do agree with don't get lost in this. To get in touch with Nathaniel Erskine-Smith or learn more about his politics, visit his website at nathanielerskinesmith.liberal.ca. To learn how you can take action with C246 and help make it a reality, visit thefurbearers.com. That's the show for this week, folks. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. And until next time, this is Michael Howie reminding you to stay informed and stay strong.